eight, five, seven, six. Ah, that should do it. Oh, hello everyone. Well, I thought I'd try a little experiment today. I'm going to try and sync the randomizer up with another computer and... Thank you. Your code is correct. Fantastic. I'm going to let that computer make the selection. So, Sid, are you ready? Standing by. Fantastic. So, first, if you would select, at random, a Jerry Anderson series... UFO. Okay, I suppose that was inevitable. And can you give me an episode number? Two. Let's see, episode two, episode two. Ah, okay. Right. Well, yes, it is indeed UFO today. Computer affair. So here we are, back with UFO. Um, last time around, it was the penultimate episode of the series, which is, was, Mindbender. And here we are, tackling the second episode of the series, Computer Affair. Now, I... I don't have a lot of love for the very early episodes of UFO. Okay, I do, because it's UFO. But I fully appreciate that this is, I think, a rare series where if you were grading the, the quality of each individual episode, like, on a graph, overall, the series would just be this this massive upward curve. Um, I'm not sure if that's down to any one thing. But yeah, certainly the earliest, earliest episodes. The pre-Paul Foster episodes, at least, are not my favourites. I seem to remember this being the best of the pre-Pauls, but let's find out. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God, this thing. Um, this is the lunar carrier taking off to transport the lunar module to moon base. This sequence is the most dull thing. I think in, in the entire history of Jerry Anderson shows, that just the sight of this vehicle makes me so angry because this scene goes on forever. What well, it was... Right, it was 01.30-something when the scene started. I'm just checking the time on my media player here. Oh, God, the module is slowly crawling its way along. And I... It would still be tedious, even if the lunar module was, like, an attractive design, but it really isn't. It's this ugly red slug of a vehicle, which is just a rocket. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the Lunar Module. I don't know anybody out there really who is, but um, we have wasted over a minute. Hello, Gay. Shall we start? <laughs> well, if you, if you wouldn't mind, you know, we, we might have an episode, unless you want to show us any more minutes of that bloody Lunar Module. I hate it. I hate it. And it's even worse when you see it in other stories because... The only time it's interesting is when it gets blown up. Funny you should say that. Straker asked me to get your ideas on the subject. He had the same idea. He had the idea of asking you for your ideas on his idea. It's a good idea, isn't it? Anyway, here's our trio of, uh, at this point, regular astronauts relaxing in the, um, whatever sphere this is. We have, uh, Mark Bradley, and we have Lou Waterman, who later went on to become... Captain of Skydiver, and we have Ken Matthews. Uh, and since he is the uh, the last face you see in the opening titles at the end, at the beginning of every episode, I'm sure Ken's going to be all right. Confirm sighting. Yellow alert. Also, there's a deleted scene here, which I might like to have seen, where because there's suddenly a, a 
a few shots where people are holding cups and they look happy. Um, I think there was a deleted scene here about Mark's birthday or something, but that's gone. Um, presumably to make way for more shots of the lunar module. I'm sorry, I... I Thank goodness the pacing on this show got got vastly better by the end of the series because that that is almost unforgivable, that opening sequence. If you're really looking to hook people, that's not the way to do it. But and that seemed to be an unfortunate problem with early UFOs, just like, here is a thing. It is moving. That somehow is a substitute for like drama and character and story and it really wasn't I think you can you could certainly get away with that in the puppet shows and I'm not saying that they were lacking in story or character or whatever but I think you can you can indulge yourself a bit more there though in um, in a less adult oriented show than you can with this immediate launch this is, this is good, though. I think maybe the Lunar Module sequence might have been saved if you had some funky music behind it. Anyway, Lou and uh, Mark and Ken, they're all off to face the UFO. That was Ken's voice, by the way. Uh, throughout this sequence, he, he flits back and forth between his own voice with a slightly Australian um, twang to it, and uh, Jeremy Wilkins dubbing him for a lot of this scene for some reason. Well, this is something else that I find a bit tedious with early UFO. Is a lot of the rattling off of numbers, especially with the moon base sequences, constantly constantly relaying numbers back and forth to each other. Zero. Three missiles launched, as you might expect. Contact with explosion. Oh, you can see the explosion. Um, oh God, back to looking at the radar screen. I still have a contact, Lieutenant. Double check. In a way, it's kind of nice that. Positive. It's slightly more realistic that this takes so long. You imagine a slightly less technologically advanced planet would struggle to keep up with alien invaders, especially who have spaceships that can go faster than light. Um, and then we have this fairly baffling sequence where each of the interceptors has to wait until they're given a specific course to move out of the way of the incoming UFO. One to base. Request new course. Hi, one to base. Request new course. Control to interceptor three. Alter course. Now, if the UFO's on collision course for interceptor one, I get that they maybe have to divert them onto a specific course to, like, save fuel to make sure they can get home, but... Interceptor one to base. Request new course. Surely, if you're on a collision course, any other course than straight for the thing that's going to crash into you is... is preferable. Just move your ship. Eight. Too late, Lieutenant. No. And that's it. Poor old Ken Matthews, who features in the opening titles of every single episode, has just been blown to bits. Impact confirmed. Interceptor one destroyed. Oh my God! They killed Kenny. You. B****s. Although interesting uh, fact about Michael Mundell, who played Ken Matthews, 
I believe he went back to Australia. I'm not entirely sure of the details, but he became a an Australian TV producer, director type person, and at one point was actually involved with an attempted revival of UFO. So clearly being killed off like this um, didn't upset him too much. Guess, Alec. The error could have been human. A decision was taken, it could have worked, but the point is, it didn't. Right. No more humans. I've had it up to here with humans and their human problems. Shadow can't afford to have humans on board anymore, Alec. They've all got to go. Oh, uh, what happened to the UFO? It landed. Landed? Where? Just about the worst place possible. <gasps> Where's the worst place? Somewhere in an area of 50,000 square miles in northern Canada. Oh, is that really the worst we place? We got the flies is out looking for it. Actually, it can't possibly be the worst place if it brings on this. I love, despite what I said about the lunar module earlier, I love stock footage sequences of vehicles doing things set to funky music. Uh, this show had it quite a bit. I think uh, Captain Scarlet would occasionally do this, and sometimes Thunderbirds. I think um, The Imposters has a nice sequence of the army searching for Tracy Island. What I love about things like this is they've thrown out everything. All the stock footage they've got from the two episodes they've made. They've even brought out Shane Rimmer's stock footage. Um, and it's fun knowing that you look at these vehicles and at this point in the series you don't necessarily know what that is or what that is and then you think well hang on that was in a, a later episode that was a civilian vehicle and over here this was a base run by people who didn't even have anything to do with shadow it's like we had a grid search nothing to report we'll just we'll just okay, make it work somehow see you in one hour and the first of some really utterly beautiful model shots in this episode of Sky One flying over the lake, and then it turns to night, and the lake just looks beautiful. It's a really lovely shot. Some beautiful effects work in this. I think it's probably one why it's one of my favourites of the first three. Gay, okay, we all took the same chance. Ken was unlucky. These things happen. Nobody's to blame. And that was a that was a character scene that just kind of went nowhere. Gay didn't even say anything. I like that they sort yes. of tried yes, something there. They, they've not really had to deal with human actors properly before, so they're not entirely sure how to make scenes like that work. And I think this episode is a spectacular um, example of... Uh, sort of, we don't really know what we're doing, but we are trying. Um, it just, I don't think it comes off ultimately, but... You people were selected because of your outstanding character, as well as intellect. What went wrong? Uh, well, look at them. It's, it's Gay Ellis, it's Mark Bradley, and it's Lou Waterman. You selected them because of their outstanding character? I mean, I like them, but none of them are going to win, like, Personality of the Year award or anything. Um... And what does character have to do with... I don't know. I don't quite understand why Straker is angry at them specifically. Uh, maybe this is something that could have gone through another draft. Just to, just to clarify what exactly this inquiry is, is hoping to achieve. And now we, we cut back to Straker's office. The three from Moonbase are just gone. Great. I'll be right there. Evidently it's sometime later. 
And now, see, Skydiver is a, a lovely vehicle that I could watch stock footage of forever, and I could watch the actors inside mumbling off numbers forever. The show could 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 pull off scenes like that lunar module thing. I, I'm sorry, I keep going on about the blooming lunar module. I should just forget it. Just move past it. We are now in the psychoanalytic department of uh, the medical centre. Cigarette? Thank you. I love this. It's so... There's no need to be. This is all quite confident. So old-fashioned that the doctors are handing these cigarettes. There. And this scene, I think, is where we... Before we start, I'd like to get one thing straight. Oh, no. I've no liking for you, Blacks. <sighs> hmm. So there's another interesting element of early UFO, specifically regarding the Mark Bradley character. You didn't seem surprised when I said it. I assumed you didn't mean it. Good. Good. Okay, that's nice from Schroeder, but yeah, we sort of, we want to say something about racism. Um, all we can really come up with is racism is bad. And when I was younger, I... I would look at this and think, mm, the way they're dealing with this is kind of hopelessly naive. Like, I think in Survival, there's a scene where Straker actually said, racism ended five years ago. Like, you know, we, we put an actual date on it. Um, Range and, miles, sir. you know, Closing. it's... Now I, I appreciate any effort by any show to say racism is bad, even in as simplistic a manner as this, because it it needs to be said. Um, Left off stations. Yes, sir. Good luck. Sorry, I love that bit with with Wilkins saying good luck. It's it's again, it's just such a small little character moment that doesn't need to be there, but it adds so much that it is. Hot, cold, geometry, variable. Now, yeah, going back to what I was saying about. Mark Bradley, I think not only do we have the slightly clunkily way the whole racism thing is is brought up and kind of dismissed as, oh, that, that, that isn't a thing anymore. This episode specifically places so much focus on the character of Mark Bradley. And I, I hate to say it. I hate to be as blunt as this. I hope I'm not going to offend anybody by saying this. Harry Baird was not the greatest actor um, the world has ever seen. He... I don't think he can really handle that kind of focus. Um, now, if the story had been... I'm just looking at um, Captain Carlin lining up for his attack on the UFO. And I think Peter Gordino, who, as far as we know, had very little acting experience, I think is... His acting experience before this point was the previous episode of UFO. I don't think he'd done anything else. But he seems fairly natural in this show. Um, if you wanted to do a story focusing on a, on a black character and you can do the whole racism thing... Again, you'd still do it as clunky as you did. But he could work with the material in a far more engaging way than I think Harry Baird managed to. He just... There are several points, particularly in this episode, where he is just... I am here to say the words. I will say lines. And there is a particular moment later on where that is absolutely evident. And I don't... 
I don't feel like he doesn't belong here, but certainly putting him front and centre in this episode was not a good move. The Shadow have anyone checking him out? If they did, it would probably be a computer. <laughs> I kind of like uh, them making jokes at Schroeder's expense while he's listening to them, and he clearly doesn't care. I, I kind of like um, Dr. Schroeder. I, I do like, actually, all of Shadow's vast army of um, doctors. Of Obviously, Jackson is wonderful. But Schroeder and Fraser just seem like nice guys as well. When it lands, let me know its exact position. Anyway, the UFO is now coming down. Um, back towards the, the worst place on Earth, the Canadian forest. And, oh, I love this crash landing. I love it. It's so beautiful. Those real trees just, oh, they add so much to this shot. Now, booze time. I don't believe it. Oh, no, that's for you. Well, the UFO has landed. Close enough to Lexfield Air Base, Canada, for you to be there by first light tomorrow. Fine. Don't you have anybody in Canada who... I want them alive. I... I... I get that you want your like your number two guy on the spot to deal with it, but at the same time, don't you have people, shadow people in Canada who are trained to deal with this sort of thing, and shouldn't they be moving in like as soon as the thing landed? Just saying, oh, we'll we'll go over there tomorrow. It'll still be there. They won't have done anything. Blackbird. Blackbird. You could see her mind racing. She was consciously avoiding giving the standard answer. White. Look at the stress factor at that point. Five times normal. And your conclusions are based on that? So this is a very odd... My conclusions are based on eight hours of exhaustion. ...dilemma that this sh the show, this particular episode, its attempt to address racism and address the problem has essentially created a solution, uh, created a situation where essentially there is no problem as such. Um... It's like we're we're trying really hard to not be racist and show how not racist we are, and we've just got ourselves into a bit of a tizzy over it. There's nobody actually being racist or saying you know blah 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 blah. It's just like the show's got a bit confused here. Decide the type of evasive action to be taken. what what does it matter? On that count, Lieutenant Ellis is clear. To Gay, whether she answers white to the word association with black other than to attempt to prove that she isn't racist and nobody was calling her racist anyway so I'm so confused clear on all counts Lieutenant Ellis stress factor 1.28 paranormal emotion count 0.35 paranormal clear on other counts as to the charge of being a woman, oh, it's the worst crime of all in shadow. Between Lieutenant Ellis and Astronaut Bradley. Ah, so there we go. Romance between these it two. It ends with a confidential recommendation as to what action should be taken. I'll just sit back in my chair, cut to Mark, and cut back to me and I'll just sit back in my chair again. This thing sorts itself out. I only noticed that, that little continuity blip recently where he sits back in his chair and then he sits back in his chair again. And me, sir? It's very distracting once you notice it, and I just passed it on to all of you. You're welcome. Well, everything's lined up with the Air Force. You'll get their fullest cooperation. 
And of course we know that the alien is just sat in the UFO waiting for us to get there, so we can take our time. Shadow mobiles one, two, and three. Oh, here we go. Mobile time, yay! And of course, watching this in high definition, you see the uh, the completely stiff, blank-faced little drivers of these things. Um, none of whom appear to be Mark Bradley, I should say, even though we see him in the live-action insert shot there. Uh, yeah. I like mobiles. I like watching them drive around. off into the forest and this is some of the the best model work not only in this show but I think probably throughout the whole 50 years of Jerry Anderson on TV there is a lot of brilliant model work in this one episode this stuff in the forest is just just exceptional and it's all down I think to those those real trees they're, they just add so much, and I'm sure they're not—they're not real trees. They're branches that, you know, compared to the models, look like trees. But the fact that you know you're actually staring at a real piece of wood with real foliage and such—it, oh, it does so much to to help you believe in the the mobiles and the UFO. Control to Shadow Mobile Three. Closing for final assault. Roger control. Oh, this is going to go well. A mobile full of uh, unnamed characters we've only only just met. They'll be fine. I'm not sure I, I believe that this sort of send one in a, one mobile in at a time approach is uh, is perhaps the best idea. Although in production order, this is only the second episode, so it kind of makes sense that they are still feeling their way in a sense with regards to landed UFOs. Unfortunately I think this was one of the last episodes to be shown so in that context it does make them look a bit kind of half-hearted in dealing with this particular UFO when we've seen them go in all guns blazing prior to this. So the UFO is firing on the mobile filled with three unknown guys that was a beautiful shot, by the way, of the, the laser oh, hitting the trees, and the trees just split. Oh, no. And that's it. Oh, gosh. This is worse than Game of Thrones for character deaths, isn't it? We've got, we lost Ken Matthews, and we've now lost those three guys that we didn't know. Radio and tracking link negative. They must have been hit. Oh. R.I.P. those guys. Send the next one in. Some beautiful close-ups on the mobiles in this episode as well as they make their way through the forest. Some lovely detail. Backup forces in position and standing by, sir. We have a backup force? Who's that? So now Mark Bradley and his two other guys from the mobile are closing in. And we know these guys are going to be alright because uh, they would turn up in, in lots of shows. They're quite good at pulling, like, concerned serious expressions, so we've got to hang on to them. Ooh, dark Ed guy has ooh, got a lot of sweat on his brow. He's looking around the forest. He's getting a nice close-up, so he's going to milk this for all it's worth. So blonde guy settled down behind a tree, looking around. There's an alien. I love blonde guy. 
shoots him in the face about ten times. It's like, you know, no messing around with that guy. And I think that might have been uh, the alien that Shane Rimmer played. Because the other alien... That one. You can see the face through the visor, and I don't think that's him. But the visor kind of lends the face... Um, that sort of quality when um, like when bank robbers wear stockings over their faces. It, it looks like it's kind of pressing down on his nose a bit. So if that is Shane currently firing on them, he looks very unrecognisable. Look out! He looks more like Barry Morse, actually. Anyway, Mark has now tackled him. So he's actually doing something now while the other guys hang back. I love that. I love that. That insert line that's clearly spoken by nobody there. It sounds like uh, sort of. Um, it sounds like the kind of voice you'd hear in like a Victorian drama or an adaptation of the Christmas Carol or something. It's like the UFO, sir. God blimey, Governor! The UFO's blown itself to bits, mate. And I think it was meant to come from the blonde-haired security guy, but it clearly wasn't his voice. I think it was Jeremy Wilkin. Whoever it was, it was very, very unfitting. Love it. You all right? I'm fine. Oh, that's the, that is the moment that I mentioned earlier where he says he's fine and then he takes this moment to, to brush the soot off his uniform and cut back to Gabrielle Drake and she's just looking at him like he's fallen out of the sky. Mobile 2 was in a better position. It's okay. He's... I was glad of the action. He's just saying the words. There's nothing really behind them. I risked your life to prove a point. Anyway, Shadow have captured another alien. Much the same situation. And they've handed it over to Doctor. Oh God, which one's this? This is Doctor Murray, um, played by Peter Burton, who was the the original Q in the James Bond films. He was in Doctor No. And then didn't come back for from Russia with love for whatever reason. I think he's only in a couple of episodes of UFO. It's long enough to tell us that we're dealing with a comparatively young alien. I want to see if I can get anything out of him, Doctor. Now let's go over it once again. The answers are needed to certain questions. And I'm going to ask you those questions in English, expecting you, an alien from another planet, to be able to answer them. Oh, no good, Alec. Either can't or doesn't want to understand. It's almost like he's an alien from another planet who doesn't understand no, English. Why are you asking him questions, expecting answers? To break down his resistance. So now, Doctor um, Q has just decided he'll let Straker just handle any any medical instruments he wants. He can inject the patient with syringes of truth drugs. He's not going to stop him. Oh. Well, your reactions are all right. You heard that clearly enough. <laughs> so I still can't understand why you won't answer my English questions. All right, Doctor. <sighs> I also don't quite understand why this alien is being so docile. I suppose they've drugged him with something, but... I don't know, it seems almost conscious behavior on his part that he's just, just lying there. Absolutely silent. Although it does make what's about to happen um, 
slightly more unexpected when it finally comes. You must cooperate. Parlez-vous Francais? Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Pulse rate increasing. Come on, you've got to speak something. I love how sudden and unexpected and just freaky that is. Having shown absolutely no emotion up to that point, and he's just suddenly all hell breaks loose. And that's another alien. Deader. Straker's none too pleased about this. They're all none too pleased with Straker, especially Alec, who... Yeah, he takes off his surgical mask, but then he also takes off the surgical cap, which is, I think, a lovely... A lovely touch to the character, even though this this alien is essentially an enemy. He's still a man, and he's paying his respects to the dead man. That's very sweet. I'd like you to accept this. We've worked together a long time, Alec. Maybe too long. I only just I now noticed it. that you're a ruthless git. You make all your decisions based on cold logic, computer predictions. Oh. Well, enough of that scene. Let's go over to a restaurant now. That's a tr problem with a lot of the scenes in this episode, actually. They feel like they're only just getting going before we cut somewhere else. I wonder what it's going to be like in 20 years' time. So this is... Uh, Computers take over completely. Why don't you Mark and Gay having a... They seem to have all the answers, even now. A meal in a restaurant, we and I... Them. Program them. To be honest, I'm not entirely sure what the outcome of this is. You better make that phone call. So they've had dinner. They're going to make a phone call. I'll sleep on it. Draco has plied Alec with enough booze to make him change his mind. For you, Alec. Gay and Mark have phoned Straker to talk to Freeman. I'm not sure how they knew he would be there. Well, when did you find this out? What are they actually saying to him? Well, you know what it means, don't you? I would really love to know. Right. No, no. Now leave that with me. Mark Bradley. Important? He thinks it is. Are you going to tell us? Well, it looks like you were right. You and your computers. So now Alec has torn up his, his resignation. I don't get what this ending means. Why, why, Alec? Have uh, would you tell Mark and Gay decided and that they are attracted to each other and it's somehow okay now? Because the computer the said that in the first place, and Not now that they've proven the computer right, they can. But this report analyzed the flight path. Everything's okay. And it shows that. I think that's what they're going for. Plus that computer report that backs the whole thing up. The decision wasn't influenced by emotion. You tell me. I don't. This is a very confusing ending. See you. But it ends on a shot of Straker looking smug. And really, that's all we need to close out UFO computer affair. Yes, um. Ooh, what can you say about that? First off, some beautiful model sequences in the Canadian forest with the mobiles. Oh, oh Edward Bishop. He's still credited as Edward Bishop on this episode. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a huge positive in this episode's favour. Unfortunately, the scenes with the human actors, um, there's the beginnings of something. We're a rewrite or two away from having something potentially 
workable here. But it's not quite there, and I, to be honest, I think the focus is on entirely the wrong characters. Um, it, yeah, it, it just kind of feels like we're almost getting half a story with this one. Not one of my favourites. Still one of the better episodes of Early UFO for those wonderful mobiles.